My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. Uh, we have in the past usually had um, uh, the worship time all up front and then the sermon at the end, but we're mixing things up here uh, because we're taking four weeks out of the book of Luke. I know it's traumatizing for some people, but, but we need to do it. Uh, we have felt in the last year or two that uh, the consistency of our worship and, and the intensity of it has just gone down a little bit, and we're feeling God calling us back. In fact, beyond back, uh, calling us to up the bar some in terms of our intensity and passion in praise and worship and uh, the pro profoundness of our worship of him and, and the passion of our celebration of him. And so th th this is a, a call of the Lord to, for us as a people to really um, uh, up it a notch, amen, in worshiping him. So we'll be getting into worship in a little bit here, uh, and, and the message will be about that. I want to say hi to all of our many, many podcasters. We love you guys, and uh, we're, it's an honor to bless you. Have uh, Someone uh, referred to them as the Podrishners instead of the parishioners, the Podrishners. So, hello, Podrishners. Got a million different names for them. Technology is of the devil. We know that. Uh, <laughs> but God uses it for good despite its inherent evil. And so, oh, talk about technical difficulties. First service was a nightmare. It was... Nothing was working. Arr! And then you have to focus. ADD, gone. Focus. All right. God used it anyways. Also, Scott, our community uh, pastor, wanted to, me to, to just give you a heads up that in about three weeks, we're going to be moving into another 40-day adventure. Uh, we're going to have uh, small groups around that. And uh, th this one will be t entitled Revolting Beauty. Revolting Beauty. It's the title of a book that I'm working on right now and it really expresses the essence of the kingdom, that we're to be a people who manifest the beauty of God as we revolt against everything that's ugly in the world. Just be beautiful and revolt. Revolutionaries. That's what the word revolt means. Revolters. We do not accept the status quo. All right. That should do it. I want to entitle this message. It's the second in this four-part series we're doing on worship and praise. And I want to entitle this one, Entering into His Presence. Last week, we, we talked about worship as dancing with God. Uh, this, this morning, I want to talk about worship as entering into his presence. And I'm going to do uh, two things, really. I'm going to, first of all, finish up last week's sermon. Uh, there's a few points I didn't quite get to. And then we'll go into this week's sermon. And then we're going to go into another time of worship. But first, I want to pray. Pray with me here. Holy Spirit, we invite you, we implore you to right now uh, invade this space and make this a dome in which you are king and make our minds a dome in which you are king and our hearts a dome in which you are king. Build your kingdom here. And the Lord, I'm very aware that what needs to happen here in the next half hour, I can't make happen with words uh, and so, Lord, we ask that you take these words and infuse them with your authority. I will get frustrated if I try to make something happen. So, Lord, I just choose to relax in your sufficiency and in your power. And, Lord, we open our minds and hearts to your, you and, and ask that you, through your almighty power, change us. And, Lord, bring about here in this place the vision of a people who come together and... Uh, who just know that we are called and redeemed to worship and choose to enter into passionate, vibrant, sold-out, abandoned worship of you every time we get together, Lord, and on our own and in our small groups, a people who know the power 
and joy of praise. Let it be, Lord. Surround us with your presence, we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Okay, first by way of review, we saw last week that worship is about ascribing worth to God. Worship. We're saying, God, here's what you're worth. That's what we're doing whenever we worship. Worship is not about singing certain kinds of songs. It's not a sing-along. It's not a prelude to a sermon. It's not an addendum to other things. It's not optional. It's not superfluous. It's the core of what we're about. We talked last week about how some new believers or non-believers have trouble with this concept because they envision God as sort of like this needy, super powerful cosmic being, uh, the astronaut on the twilight zone, as I said last week, who's up there, and, and here, here we are, these little peons, and, 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 and he's saying, worship me, you know, acknowledge me or I'll squish you. And, and so we're supposed to like, oh, we worship you, cosmic astronaut. And, and to, to non-believers who have that picture of God, that, that feels dehumanizing, uh, humiliating, because it is. And so they don't get this worship thing, like, why are we worshiping? What's that about? But what we said last week was this. What we showed last week was this. That worship, far from being dehumanizing or humiliating, it is the most freeing, liberating, uh, dignified activity we could possibly ever be involved in. Because God is not a needy cosmic being up in the heavenlies um, who just needs us to help his self-esteem. God is life itself. God is love itself. God is goodness itself. God is joy itself. God is beauty itself. God is the source of all those things. He is all those things. And when we worship God, it's not out of fear of getting squished. It's it's simply a way of acknowledging what is true. God, you are beautiful. God, you are life. God, you are joy. And what we showed last week is that as we do that, as we ascribe worth to God, as we just sing and express accurately who God is. We are dancing with God. In the same way that a mirror is, it reflects the sun and is warmed by the sun that it reflects, so also as we worship God, we participate in the life that he is and the joy that he is and the beauty that he is. We're caught up into the life and the movement and the dance of the triune God. And when created beings dance with the triune God, what it looks like is worship and praise and celebration. And that is what we are called to do. Now, all of our life is to be that. The goal of our life as kingdom people is to manifest the beauty of God and participate in the beauty of God in every area of our life. We want everything we do to reflect his glory. That's that's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right relatedness. And so the way we treat people, the way we think about people, the, the, the way we conduct our lives, the decisions we make, the, what we do with our finances, we want it all to reflect the worth that God has in our life, which, of course, has to be ultimate worth. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that is to say, in, in light of, the, of how merciful God has been to us, as revealed in Jesus Christ, The only appropriate response when you understand God's mercy is to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Our embodied existence is all to be centered on sacrificial living that reflects the worth that God has in our life. This is true worship. So all of our life is to be an act of worship. As we, on a moment-by-moment basis, acknowledge God's presence 
and conduct our lives in ways that reflect the worth that he has to us. At the same time, there needs to be a special set-apart time where we, in a more particular way, worship God. Through song, through dance, through the arts, through, through music, through, through any way we can, where we, we, we have set aside time where we dance with God. And that also, in a different sense, is called worship. And that's what I'm focusing on here. Uh, we need to individually and in our small groups and certainly in our time when we come together as a large group on our, our weekend services, have time where we set aside to ascribe worth unto God. And that's what I'm focusing on here. Now, we worship God, as I said last week, because, here's five or six reasons, because he's God. And that's all we need to know, really, is he's God, and therefore, uh, he, he, he deserves to be worshipped. We worship God because he's God. We worship God because he's worthy. We worship God because he's holy. He's unique. He's set apart. We worship God because he's good to us. We worship God because it's commanded in the Bible, right up there with thou shalt not commit adultery is the command, thou shalt worship. And we worship God because this is what we are created to do, and this is what we're redeemed to do. We are created and redeemed to dance with God. When God called the children of Israel out of Egypt, there's a lot of benefits to them for sure, but the main reason it's given over and over again in the book of Exodus is so that my people will be free to worship me. And so also as we are redeemed by the, the Lord and as we grow in the Lord, we are set free to worship God, to dance with God, to participate in the one who is life, who is beauty, who is joy, who is love. It, it is the, the beginning, middle, and end, the substance of what we are to be about. Far from being an optional thing, an addendum, a prelude, a sing-along, or just a religious activity that we do because that's what churches do, far from being any of those things, it's at the center of everything, folks. And this is why it's so urgent that we understand when we come together that we are here to give praise and honor and glory to our God. Amen? Now, here's, here's a few things I didn't get to last week. I just want to finish this up, and then we'll move on to this, the, the message for this week. Worship is, first of all, by definition, passionate. Because me, mediocrity does not get ascribed to God the honor that is due his name. It doesn't reflect the worth of God. By definition, worship must be passionate. David says in Psalms 103, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my innermost being, praise his holy name. Here's David commanding himself to worship God. And he says, all my innermost being, from the depth of who I am, let it be in praise and honor of God. I want every molecule of my existence, every ounce of my energy, every ounce of my body, every thought that I have, every feeling that I have, be directed towards one goal and one goal only, and that is, to exalt the name of the Lord, to ascribe worth unto God. That is what worship is. By definition, it's passionate. Now, that doesn't mean it's always loud, though it can be. But it's always intense. It's always about a focus that we have in the now. It's always in this moment. We are in this moment saying what God is worth to us. And since God is worth everything, it by definition requires our all to do it. To the degree that our mind and our heart is not focused in the now, on the Lord, to that degree, what we're doing is just singing, if we're even doing that. Worship, by definition, is passionate. That's what the Lord is looking for. Uh, by contrast, here's what the Lord says in Isaiah 29. He says, These people, 
whom he's a little peeved with at this point. They come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but it's not real honor and it's not really coming near because their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. They're just going through the motions. This is what we do in church. We sing a couple songs. They're just going through the motions. The songs may be nice. You know, it, it, the songs may be true, but it's not worship. That is not worship unless your heart is in it. And the biblical concept of heart just refers to inner being, not just your emotions. It refers, refers to your thought. It refers to your mind. Your, your whole inner being is to be focused exclusively and entirely and completely on Jesus Christ and exalting his name. And it's as we do that, and only as we do that, that we are participating uh, in the life of the triune God, that we are ascribing worth unto his name. So worship, by definition, is passionate. Passionate focus. The passionate uh, embracing of all that you are and, and, and using it, every ounce of it, to exalt the Lord. Which means, number two, worship always involves commitment. It doesn't happen by accident. It never happens by accident. It involves commitment. David says this in Psalm 57, They spread a net for my feet. Talking about his enemies. I was bowed down in distress. Distressed out. But then listen to this. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. He repeats it for emphasis. I will sing and make music. I know I'm distressed, I'm freaking out right now, but I'm committed to this one thing. I'm going to sing. I'm going to make music. So he says to his soul, he's commanding his soul again, Awake, my soul. Wake up. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I'm going to wake up the world here in the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. What David is saying is that despite my distress, I will be committed to worshiping God. And so also we, when we come together, we can be in a lot of different places. It may be that you're distressed. It may be that you're freaking out. Maybe your home life ain't so good. Maybe your marriage is starting to be on the rocks. Maybe your relationship with your kids is, is all screwed up. Maybe your finances are tanking. Uh, maybe your health is failing. You may have just yesterday found out from the doctor that you have terminal cancer. And that's tough to deal with. I got that. But what worship is, is saying, God, you are worth more than my health. You are worth more than all, you're greater than all my distress, greater than anything I could be anxious about, greater than anything I could be depressed about. So I will right now be steadfast in my commitment to exalt you. And that, amen, and that, that is, that is an ultimate act of worship because you're saying, God, you are, you're scribing worth to God despite your circumstances. Because the truth is that even if your family's falling apart, God is still God and he's still got the worth that he has. And even if your finances are tanking and your health is going down the tubes and life is all screwed up and you just lost your job and the dog died, God is still God. He's still worthy. He's still holy. He's still beautiful. He's still life. And the best thing you can do in those circumstances for yourself is to exalt God. But we ascribe worth to God when we make a choice. It's a commitment that even though we don't feel like it, and probably more often than not on a Sunday morning, you don't feel like it. You know, there's always reasons. There's always more reasons not to worship God than there is to worship God. But there's one reason to worship God. It trumps them all. And that is because God is God. Amen? So it, it involves commitment. Be steadfast in your resolve, whatever your circumstances, to worship God. And third, that means that worship always involves sacrifice. 
Here's the main difference between biblical worship and worship in a lot of circles today. Today, most people, when they think about worship and praise, they assess it in terms of what it does for them. We are just products of a very intensely self-centered culture. It's always about me. What can I get out of it? And, and how do I like it? And how does it, fit, does it make me feel comfortable? Does it make me get warm fuzzies? Does it, you know, what does it do for me? But the Bible has a, the opposite idea of worship. Worship, by definition, is sacrifice. It's, it's, it's not about what you get out of it. It's what you put into it in order that God gets something out of it. And what God should get out of it is glory. Hebrews 13 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. You find that phrase a lot in the Bible. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. When you're not in the mood, when you've got all sorts of things going on in your life that just don't make you feel like you want to exalt the Lord, it can feel like absolute sacrifice to make the decision to focus on God and to put your all into worshiping God. But that's what makes it worship. You're saying, God, you're greater than my moods, greater than my circumstances, greater than anything else going on in my life. And so I will make the choice, the sacrificial choice in the now, right here and right now, to push out everything else in my mind, all of the concerns and considerations, all of the distractions, and right now envision you and all of your beauty and pour myself out, all of my innermost being poured out to you right here and right now. And it can feel like sacrifice. It can be difficult. And that's what makes it worship. This is why in the Bible, the center of worship was always the offering. When people came, they would offer up their goats and lambs, which was their financial offering or, or their first fruits of their harvest. And that's why we today, when we go into worship, we take up an offering. Because it's the sacrifice that ascribes worth unto God. It's not how much you give that matters. It's how much it costs you to give it. For some people, a nickel can be incredibly sacrificial. And that ascribes more worth to God than the pers person who put in $5,000 if it came off of their extra. You see what I'm saying? Um, I don't know if we have very many people on here for whom $5,000 is an extra, but, but you get my point. It's not about how much you give. It's about how much it costs you to give it. Worship is always about sacrifice. Now I want to talk about what happens when we worship. We worship God because he's God, because he's holy, because he's good. But as a matter of fact, there's a number of things that happen to us when we worship God. And we don't worship God to get those things that happen to us. We worship God because he's God. But as a matter of fact, God has set it up so that the best thing we can do for ourselves and for our neighbor is to enter into worship. And so I want to go over four things that happen to us as we worship God. The first thing, and it's the foundational thing because everything else happens as a result of this. But what happens is when we worship God, we're brought into God's presence. We're brought into God's presence. Now, God is present everywhere. He's omnipresent, which means he's present everywhere. But there's a certain dimension, a beautiful dimension of God's presence, a way of experiencing God's presence that happens when people get together and align their hearts and minds completely with God and are solely focused on God, there's something that happens there that can't happen any other way. We enter into his presence. And so David says in, in Psalms 100, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence or come into his presence with singing. We enter into the presence of God. 
our vision for Woodland Hills Church is that we would be a people who every time we get together, the goal here is to encounter the living God. To have that atmospheric change that is so beautiful where you just sense God really is in this place. It says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. This is when they're dedicating Solomon's temple. And the trumpeters and the musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to God. Accompanied by trumpets and cymbals, my favorite part, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices loudly in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, his love endures forever. You find that all over the place in the Bible. Then the temple of the Lord, this is what happens when you praise God. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. We spoke about the cloud several weeks ago. The cloud is his presence, his beautiful, awesome presence. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Folks, what we want to have happen when we come together is to be enveloped in the cloud. The cloud of his presence. And I am looking forward to the day when that cloud is so thick, I can't preach. <laughs> Amen. And the cloud is so thick, we, 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 we can't even play our instruments anymore. When the cloud is so thick, the cloud of his presence. There's a unique dimension to God's presence that we enter into as we praise the Lord and as we worship him and say what is true and dance with the triune God. And, and, and a lot of you know firsthand, I'm sure, the beauty of that. It's beautiful, it's radiant, it's mind-boggling, it's glorious. And it's not always like that. Sometimes we experience it more than others, but when you're in the presence of God, when the cloud shows up, ain't nothing more beautiful than that. Ain't nothing more life-giving than that because that's the cloud of life, the cloud of love, the cloud of beauty. And to be enveloped in that, if, you ever, if you've ever had that experience of the cloud, then you, you'll never again ask the question, what will we be doing throughout eternity? Uh, we'll be doing a lot of things throughout eternity, but we're going to be doing it all in the cloud. And when you're in the cloud, uh, you, you never get bored. This is what you're created for. You're created for the cloud. You're redeemed for the cloud. You live for the cloud. And when you're in that cloud, the cloud of his glorious presence, the Shekinah glory coming down, that then, then you in that moment know that this is what life is all about. This is what you hunger for. Everything you need is found, as it were, in that cloud because that is the presence of God. That's what happens when we come together and worship God. When, when our hearts are exclusively aligned with him and our minds are exclusively aligned with him, it's like opening a valve so that the presence of God can now fill this place. And to the degree that we don't do that, we clog it and we dilute it. And so it's so important that each of us takes responsibility when we come together to open up that valve by having an aligned heart and an aligned mind and an exclusive, committed, sacrificial focus on the Lord. Folks, it, it, it's not just for ourselves that we need to do that, but it's for others. Uh, it, it, it's like this. Uh, several, a number of years ago now, and there's a guy who came up after the service one time and and he said, I want you to know that I, I came into this service and a committed atheist, and now I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Yes. Now, I, I said, oh, really? Uh, what was it that I said that changed your mind? <laughs> I love when God does these little lessons on you to humble you. And the guy said, well, frankly, I didn't have a clue what you were talking about. <laughs> I... I 
but all I know, I, all I know is that during that worship service, you're, you're, when you were singing, you didn't say worship, when you were singing, there's something real going on here. There's something in this room, and I don't know what it is, but I know that I need it. I, I'm hungry for that. And I just sense some kind of reality. And if you're telling me that his name is Jesus, then I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Hey, folks, when, when, when we come together, worship, we worship God because he's God. That's, that's the end all. But this can be a form of evangelism. Every weekend there are people who come there right now. Some of you are in the crowd there. You're not surrendered to Jesus Christ. You're checking out. You're seeking. And, and maybe you don't understand all that I'm saying. And that, that's fine and wonderful. But we owe it to them to make the decision to enter into passionate, exclusive focus. Because as we do that, as we open up the valve and the cloud comes down, if there's any degree of openness in their heart, they're going to sense the presence of God. And, and uh, uh, being aware of that reality can do more to turn them, their lives around and become surrendered to Jesus Christ than all the sermons in the world. I'm talking about Jesus and about God and about the Bible, but here they have a chance to experience him firsthand. And they may not, may, may not be able to process it with their minds. They don't have categories for it. Maybe they don't, they don't have any way of understanding it. But something on the, in their hearts is there's, so that there's a reality here. Something real is going on here. And so we worship God because he's God, but we also know it's urgent because it's a form of evangelism. And so it's not just about you. It's about other people. For the sake of your brother and sister who are still on the fence and making decisions, we need to worship God and invite that cloud of his beautiful presence into our midst. We enter God's presence when we worship him. Secondly, because we enter his presence, worship is a way of lifting up your heart. If you, if you understand the principle of worship and praise, there is nothing that can be more encouraging than this. David says this in Psalms 27. One thing I ask from the Lord. One thing. This is all I want. This is it. I'm, I'm pinning everything on this, he's saying. This only do I seek. There's only one thing I seek after, and it's this that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, you see, to a lot of people, that would not be heaven. <laughs> to a lot of people, that would be hell. I, I want to live in church every day of my life. <laughs> but see, here's why. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He in the Old Testament, they identified the presence of God with the temple. The temple played a unique role. Now, in, in the New Covenant, we're aware that we are the temple, <laughs> And so, so we can enter this presence anytime and anywhere we want. But in the Old Testament, it was, it was centered on the temple. So David is really saying, I, I, the one thing I want in life is to be in the presence of God and to gaze upon his beauty and to enjoy the cloud of his presence. It's the meaning and the purpose and the goal of life. And then he says this, When I do that, my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me, and this tabernacle I will at his tabernacle I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. What David is, is saying here is this. When I'm in the presence of God, and you see, uh, he's King David, and he's got to do a lot of warfare. And back in those days, the warfare was against uh, God's human enemies. Ours is now against principalities and powers, but we're surrounded by enemies. But he says that when I'm in the presence of God, I'm lifted up above that. There's all this warfare in the world, but I'm lifted up above that. My head is exalted. Uh, the Bible uses this expression, he's the glory and the lifter of my head. And what that means is he just encourages us. Instead of having our heads drooping down like this because we're so sad, he lifts up our head. 
There's something about worship because you're tapping into the Almighty God. It lifts you up above the circumstances of life, the conflict of life. Uh, the issues of your life may, in fact, be very depressing. The issues of your life may be very distressing. You may be full of anxiety on the level of, of uh, on this plane. The best thing you can do is to, in the midst of that, make the sacrificial decision to exalt God and to lift him up and just to gaze upon his beauty. And not only does he just deserve that because it's what's true about him, but you will find that as you do that, you get a, uh, like a, a zoned-out perspective on the problems of life. Things that seem so huge when you're on this plane become very, very small when you're looking at it from God's perspective. And he invites us in on his peace and in on his perspective. It's kind of like you podcasters aren't going to get this because you didn't see the video, but when, when Trevor there zoomed out, wasn't that a cool move? When he zoomed out uh, and, and got this aerial view of the Twin Cities and someone in back of me said, how do you do that? Well, I know how he did it because he lives in my house and it took him eight hours to get those two seconds. Uh, but, but it's a very cool movie. got on Google, and I don't know what he did, actually. But, but when we worship God, it's like we zoom out. And stuff that seems so huge and big and monumental and earth-shattering becomes rather small. And you gain, you gain a wisdom when you get that God's eye perspective on your problems. And so in worship, uh, uh, we're to know that, that we worship God just because he's God, because he's holy, because he's good, not because we can get anything out of it. But when we do that, precisely because we're not focused on ourselves, we get something profound out of it. And you can find an encouragement and a perspective uh, on life that you can't get any other way. So we worship God because he lifts our hearts. And even if you don't need your heart lifted because your life is so peachy king and rosy and, and wonderful, your brother or sister might come here with a heavy heart. Maybe they're in the midst of some very despairing circumstances. And so for their sake, it's an act of love for them. We need to open up the valve and invite the cloud down so that now, you see, we're, we, we all, we're all in this together. Each one of us contributes to or dilutes the power of the, the cloud encounter when we come together. But if all of us are aligned with God, the, the cloud of his presence comes down. And now my brother and my sister who are maybe in the midst of despairing circumstances can feel an encouragement and a strength uh, and, a, and a wisdom and a perspective they couldn't get any other way. We minister to one another when we worship God. We minister to God first and foremost, but the result of that is we minister to one another. So it's an act of love. Third, because we enter into the presence of God, worship transforms us. Worship transforms us. I'm all for all sorts of Bible studies, and, and I, that's really good. But I think some people have too much trust in information. You think that if you just get enough information, you're going to be changed. It doesn't work that way. And most of us know that firsthand. You can know all the Bible verses in the world that pertain to your addiction or your problem, your struggle, and you're still in the problem and the addiction and the struggle. Information doesn't transform you. Willpower doesn't transform you. You can say for the billionth time, I'm never going to do that again. And unless something inside of you changes, you're going to do it again. You see, what transforms us is when we, when we encounter the living God. Paul says this, listen to this, this is such a profound verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate or behold the Lord's glory. He's just saying what David said in the previous verse, I gaze upon the Lord's beauty. When we contemplate and behold the Lord's glory, that shining beauty, we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How do you become more godly? 
reflecting God's image? How do you become more Christ-like? How do you become one who manifests the fruit of the Spirit better? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. Learn more Bible verses, great, but that's not going to cause this to happen. Paul says it's, it's what we look at that determines what we become. And what we're to know is this. While in this passage, while non-believers have a veil over their mind, the Spirit of God lifts that veil when we surrender to Him. So we can now, in the Spirit, in our minds, see the beauty of the Lord. And as we behold the beauty of the Lord, we take on that, that beauty, the same way that a mirror, that a mirror reflects the, the, the sun and is warmed by the sun. As we behold the beauty of God, we become more beautiful. As we behold the, the, the love of God, we become more loving. As we behold the joy of God, we become more joyful. As we behold the peace of God, we become more peaceful. We're transformed into his glory uh, in ever increasing degrees. What we do in worship is just that. So I encourage people, when you enter into worship, get a picture in your mind of who you're singing to and what you're singing about. Run videos in your brain as you're into the, the celebration and into the, 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 the somber, mellow worship. Just run video. As you're singing, draw me close to you. Picture the Lord in all of his glory, in his beauty. How, how, let the, Holy, the Holy Spirit will direct you on this. And, and see him drawing you close to him, however you envision that. And then, then we sing, never let me go. Oh, picture the Lord. I picture the Lord just squishing me the way I squish my adorable grandson. I squish him. I just love to bury my face in him. He's just so cute. I just can't get mm. I picture the Lord just doing that. And he's, he's saying, I'm never going to let you go. And you see, as we, as we enter into that kind of worship, it starts to impact you. Information now becomes experienced reality. And some of us have had the experience in worship services where it's like a coin drops in a slot and you finally get it. That's the love they're talking, that's the beauty they're talking about. Um, it's one thing to know about God's love, but it's something entirely different to experience his love. It's one thing to know about his joy, but it's another thing to experience his joy. And it's as we experience the reality of God that we're transformed into his image. That worship can do in a way that nothing else can do. We enter into the cloud of his presence and we're transformed into his glory. By the way, this is one of the reasons why we sing a lot of songs that are repetitious. Now, I know some people have issues with that. They tell me and Norm. And sometimes, and God bless them, they're just operating out of their framework, but they'll say things like this. Why do we have to sing choruses 15 times? Uh, you know, two times is enough. We got the point. Let's move on. And I want to submit to you that if you're looking for the point, you're missing the point. Uh, it's, not, it's not about information. It's like when I am cuddling up with my wife by the fireside with a nice music on and having a romantic movement, uh, 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 a romantic time. Did I say movement? Yeah. A romantic, yes. I, 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 yeah. Back fiddle, back fiddle, back fiddle. A musical piece that's a romantic moment. Gosh, you guys, where's your brain? And in that time, in that mood, in that movement of love that encompasses us, I say, I love you. I really love you so much. I love you. She never yet has said, I can't got the point. <laughs> Give me some new information. 
No, you see, it's what's called a performative act. The expressing it is, 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 is expressing it. We are worshiping God as we're saying it. And as we hover on a chorus and go over and over it, it can happen that God takes that so that it's not more information in our head, but it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. The re- it's like the, the, the Holy Spirit can hammer it into us. It's really, really true. And, and, and so we're transformed by that. So don't be bothered when we go over a song again and again and again. Just go deeper and deeper. Envision the Lord. And, and just be in that, 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 that moment. Be in that movement. Uh, be loving him and ascribing worth to him as you're, we're going through the courses over and over again. It's also why sometimes we sing songs that may not quite describe your life. Uh, Lord, you're all I need. You know, you're the only thing that matters to me. We sing songs like that. And that may not quite be true descriptively about your life. In fact, it's probably not. It's not true of my life that, I, you know, I, that he's, I, do I always feel like he's the only thing I need? I know that that's true, but it's not how I, I always feel. But see, we worship according to truth, not our feelings. And, and what we are doing when we, when we sing these songs is not describing where we're at. We're prescribing what is true in order to move us to where we ought to be. And so worship is transforming. So we sing songs that maybe aren't descriptively, we're not quite there yet, but the very act of declaring them, speaking the truth, proclaiming the truth, moves us along to where we should be. So worship transforms us, lifts up our heart, because here we enter the presence of God, the cloud. And the fourth thing that happens when we worship God is it is an act of spiritual warfare. It is. It is. Doesn't look like spiritual warfare, but it is. David says in Psalms chapter 8 Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies, a fortress, a dam that holds back the water, to silence the foe and the avenger. Our enemies are principalities and powers and dominions and authorities and demonic forces in the world. And the psalmist is saying here that praise and worship is so powerful that even if a little baby does it, you say stop to all those forces. You hold them at bay. It's a stronghold. It's a fortress. When little children praise God, we in our natural carnal thinking think that that's somehow less important than when adults praise God. But the psalmist is saying those little four-year-olds got the ability to rebuke the devil and hold him at bay and and conquer the principalities and powers through through the act of praise. We find this in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, an incredible passage where the, the Israelites are going into battle. And it says, After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. Now, I want you to notice that this is nuts. They're going into battle. You've seen movies, haven't you, where, you know, the, the way they used to do ancient warfare where the armies just line up and they go in and they just start slaughtering each other Braveheart style, you know. That's how they did the army back then. They didn't have the, the long-range nuclear missiles so you could block yourself off from seeing all the destruction you're creating. You had to do it with your hands. Um, and uh, watching those movies, I've never once seen one of those ancient armies go to war. Imagine, I don't know if you saw Braveheart. Uh-huh. Uh, bloody stuff. But imagine those Scottish guys with their kilts going into battle, and out front are all these people just worshiping God. And they got their banners and their harps, you know, and, and they're just worshiping God. And they, I, they worship God not to, to win. They're not saying, Lord, give us the victory here. They're worshiping God because he's God. They worship God because of the splendor of his holiness. 
The best thing you can do as an act of war is to get your mind off the war and get it on God's beauty, get it on God's holiness, get it on God's splendor. And then you go forward, forward in battle that way. And then it says this. They were singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. There's that phrase again. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sair who, was, uh, uh, who, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. See, here's the thing. Most, I know most Western people are not aware of this or maybe don't believe in it, but it's true. And most people throughout history and yet in the world today understand this is true. And that is that this world is populated by spiritual entities. And not all of them are nice. This world is caught in the crossfire of a cosmic battle. That's why the world's such a junky place sometimes. You see a lot of beauty, but you see a lot of warfare. And the, rea- the truth is that we take hits throughout the week, though we normally don't notice it. There are conflicts that happen on a natural plane, but there's always a spiritual dimension to them. There are spiritual forces that intensify the problems that you're having in your marriage and intensify the problems that you have communicating with one another. There are spiritual forces that intensify and sometimes directly cause the physical ailments that that you're experiencing. There are spiritual forces that at least intensify, if not cause, the panic attacks that you're having, the anxiety that you're going through, the despair, the depression, the hopelessness that's going on. There's a spiritual dimension to that. And throughout the week, we take hits like this. The best thing we can do to fight those forces is to make a decision in the midst of that battle, on the front lines of the battle, to get our minds off that battle and to get it on the beauty of the Lord, the splendor of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. Because in doing that, we are, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. When the cloud comes down, think of it like this, when the cloud comes down, the spiritual forces that aren't aligned with God are allergic to that cloud. They, it is cyanide to them. It's toxic. they got to run away. The picture I get in my mind, and like most things in my mind, is kind of bizarre. But, but I remember back when I was in grad school, uh, my wife and I were very, very, very poor. And so we lived in a very, very poor apartment complex. And it was, as many poor common pl- complexes are, especially when you get a little farther south, full of cockroaches. Co- Cockroachville. And um, we would, you know, spray raid and do the other things to get rid of them. But they always kept coming back partly because our neighbors were less concerned with cockroaches, and so they would just go over there for a little bit until the air got clean, and then they'd come back here. And we had a closet that directly lined up with their apartment complex, and the first thing to get infested would be that closet. And there'd be times where I'd go in the closet, open up, and turn on the light. And some of you know firsthand probably that when you turn on the light and you've got a cockroach-infested apartment, you hear these little scandering. It's just... I mean, I am a man's man, but they freak me out. <laughs> I hate cockroaches. They, any bug that crawls fast. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I don't know where they went. It's so weird, but this, they'd be full, like a black ceiling all of a sudden. And there was white ceiling. Well, that's what happens when we praise God. We're inviting the light of the world in this place, and the cockroaches got to run. <laughs> they run for cover. Oh, no. Raid. The people of God are worshiping. Run for your life. See, the best thing we can do in the middle of a battle is to turn on the light and the cockroaches got to run. They got to flee. And when we come together, if we all have this, 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 this uh, focus and this aligned heart and mind with God and the presence of God comes down, man, it is clearing out the place. 
And maybe you're not going into battle right now. Maybe your life is peachy king, like I said before. But your neighbor may be under the stronghold right now, and they need to get these cockroaches off their back. So as an act of love for them, worship God, focus on God. And the cloud comes down, and the enemy is scattered and defeated. Praise God. Amen. So again, I say, whatever the circumstances are, however trying your life is right now, whatever else is going on, and there's always a spiritual dimension to that. There's practical things you've got to do for sure and other things you've got to do for sure. But in those circumstances, in the battle at the front lines, it's so important that you say, you know what, God, you are worth more than, 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 than my circumstances. You're greater than my circumstances. You're greater than my depression. You're greater than my anxiety. You're greater than my marriage issues. You're greater than my financial issues. You're greater than my health issues. And so I ascribe worth unto you because you are beautiful. You are good. You are holy. You are exalted. You are my God. You are life itself, love itself, joy itself, beauty itself. I dance with you. Best thing you can do, and that, ex that, that scatters the enemy, lifts up your heart, and you're entering in the presence of God. And that's what I want us to do right now for the next 30 minutes. Um, uh, I want to ask the ushers to come forward. We'll start by taking up an offering, and that's an act of worship. It's not how much you give, it's how much it costs you to give. We're ascribing worth to God in His kingdom when we do this. And I want to ask the worship team to come forward here, and here's the time where we make the choice. Will you choose? In the back, in the middle, up front, will you choose, each one of us, to put aside everything else, all other worries, distractions, anything that could possibly hinder you, and choose to sacrificially and in a committed, passionate way, focus on Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we invite you in all of your glory to fill this place now. Transform your people. Dwell in our midst. Do what you want to do as we just sing and say what is true. Draw us close in this moment, in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Praise God. And I know if we had time, we don't, but if we had time, we could have testimonies here of chains that were broken in the last 25 minutes. I, I, I'm sure of it. People are just getting set free. Amen. The cloud of glory. See, every time we come together, that's got to be our mindset. Uh, not an occasional thing, but always to worship God as though it was the first and the last time you ever could. To have every ounce of your being focused in worship to Him. I encourage you to live lives that are worshiping God. I encourage you to have time on your own where you worship God in a more particular way. And in our small groups, let's worship God. And when we come together, let our hearts be steadfast in that commitment to worship Him. If you're here and you have any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, um, I encourage you after the service to come forward. Our prayer teams will come up here and uh, uh, they'd be, love to pray with you. Or if you just want to be at the altar and pray, that'd be fine too. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to. And I implore you to come forward and talk to these folks about how to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, as we go out of this place, we pray that uh, the light that expels all cockroaches would be honest and shine through us. And Lord God, let your love just, just ooze out of us. And Lord, inspire us to live lives that, that ascribe worth to you. And we reflect that in everything we do and in everything we say and in everything we think. We live to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said one last time. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and build the kingdom.